Welcome to Wells Preachers Podcast, the second Sunday in Lent, Year C. Our theme for this season is Crushed, where we're looking at how Jesus crushes all things that can crush our hope, our joy, our peace. The theme for this particular day, shortcuts are crushed by determination, which really builds upon last week, where the essence of Jesus' second temptation was to take a shortcut to glory one that bypassed the cross. Our participants for today are Pastor Jonathan Bauer of Good News Lutheran in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, Pastor Joel Rousseau of Faith Lutheran in Tallahassee, Florida, and Professor Aaron Christie from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I'm John Hine, coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. John Bauer, let me start with you. There's a lot of different things that one could focus on in the three readings for this week, but when you look at how they intersect and you boil it down, we get to this theme about shortcuts and determination. So when the good folks of Good News Lutheran leave church this weekend and go home, what are you hoping is the main point that they take with them? Well, John, I, I think you hit on it a little bit in the introduction that there is this close connection uh, with the gospel for this Sunday, uh, especially with that, that uh, second temptation that we talked about last week, uh, where really Jesus is facing the same temptation that Satan brought, except this time it's not in the mouth of Satan, it's in the mouth of some of his, his enemies. And while the gospel really focuses on that temptation in the life of, of Jesus specifically, I think this week also gives us an opportunity to talk about how the same temptation is brought to God's people in their lives, especially as you kind of preach that gospel in the context of the, the first and second readings, where you've got God's prophet, uh, Jeremiah, uh, having the opportunity to preach the message that God gave him to preach, regardless of how people were going to respond or react, and for that matter, kind of thinking about how the people of Jerusalem handled hearing uh, the gloom and doom news about their city that Jeremiah brought. And then you think about Paul's letter to the, the Philippians, talking about how many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, uh, people who serve their bellies. We, we want what we desire right here, right now. And the idea that we would have to forego that for a time is just so antithetical, not only to, to human nature, but certainly to uh, the, the 21st century American mindset that we are, we're all swimming in. Um, so it's an opportunity for us to see how that's true. I, uh, that same temptation is brought to us in our lives. But then going back to the gospel, uh, just a, a great opportunity to see how Jesus never once wavered in his determination to go to the cross. And so where we have failed in our determination and instead taken uh, those, those easy, way outs at easy ways out at times, Jesus was perfectly determined as our substitute. Well, let me pivot to you. Uh, John just summarized uh, the first and second lesson and touched on the fact that we're going to be preaching on the gospel lesson this week, Luke 13. Do you have any additional thoughts on how the, that particular sermon text drives home our theme for the, uh, the day on shortcuts and determination? Well, I saw it in, in, when you look at the gospel almost in, in two waves. So you, you get the Pharisees coming here and Herod wants to kill you. So you have that immediate shortcut of, okay, here's some, here's some resistance to Jesus. And yet, no, I'm going to continue the work that the Father has me to do and, until the third day. Um, you have so many little, little gospel nuggets in here that you could jump with. 
um, and, and we'll maybe get to that in a little bit, like it is necessary or I must do this. Uh, even though the words that he uses for uh, to complete or to finish, it's very similar to, you know, when he gives the sacrifice on the cross that it is finished. It's a lot to jump with there. But I started to, to go towards the end of the text too. that. OK, he's thinking of Jerusalem and how they are. Un he's the willing one and they're unwilling. And I thought, you know, again, just as a contrast to my own life, that sometimes in ministry, you get really frustrated that, you know, people don't want to listen. And, and you almost just want to shake the dust off your sandals and move on and say, why even bother? And yet you really see a glimpse of the Savior's resolute heart here, that he longs as a hen wants to gather chicks, that you can just see his arms open to gather. And you see that gathering love of Jesus really on display in this text. Resolute, willing, uh, gathering. Uh, much to talk about, but I'll, I'll stop there for now. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Professor Christie, so guys have done their text study before listening to this. Do you have any initial thoughts either about something in the text itself, or if you want to go more broadly about the main message, the telic note of this text? I, I think the, the text begins with an element of immediacy. Uh, that connects it to what has come before. Back in earlier in Luke chapter 13, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Uh, fantastic question. That section then ends with, with a statement of God's grace, which is, is very broad at the wedding feast of the Lamb, uh, but paradoxically a, a door which is very narrow. Um, and then along come, fast on the heels of that, the Herodians and the Pharisees, and place themselves squarely on the wrong side of, of that narrow door uh, as they invite, invite Jesus to leave the area uh, quickly, uh, which then really gets us to the, the main point of, of that text. Um, you want to think of a telic note. Here we have a, a, a teli, teliao, a teliumai uh, there in, in verse 32, uh, that Jesus is, is going to be brought to completion in his work, that he, he goes uh, to Jerusalem um, not only to die, and indeed he embraces the cross and takes no shortcut uh, from the cross, uh, but specifically in this text of Jerusalem, the one that, that continuously is stoning the prophets, rejecting those that are, are sent to her, that, that Jesus uh, goes as the prophet par excellence, uh, to Jerusalem to join in in the long line of the prophets uh, that God's people have have rejected. Uh, so there is there is no shortcut in a relationship to to God uh, that that in any way can circumvent the word uh, that is spoken clearly by the prophets. It was true in Jeremiah's day, and it remained true the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Great, I think that, that tees it up. So let me go back to you, John Bauer. Um, guys are eager to start writing, so let's talk about the various parts, points of the sermon. Do you have any initial thoughts about how you're gonna handle the text? Yeah, one thing that's really interesting to me about this, this text, and I, I think no matter what commentary uh, a guy might pick up, they're going to speculate a little bit about this, this opening verse and, and kind of the setup to the whole situation. So number one, are the Pharisees being honest or not? Is, is this actually true that Herod wants to kill Jesus? And then number two, 
what are their motives in telling Jesus this? Are, are they trying to do him a solid almost, or do they have some sort of devious motivation? But the interesting thing to me is that either way, you know, regardless of, of what you might think about those questions, the underlying assumption is that when Jesus hears this, surely he will want to leave this region. So the idea that if, if you're in a place where somebody wants to kill you, of course, you're going to go elsewhere. And so just kind of using that as a, a jumping off point for application, um, just how much it is a, a common assumption that whatever is going to bring me the least pain, whatever is going to bring me the most pleasure and the most comfort, why wouldn't I pursue that path in my life? Uh, in fact, a, a, a quotation that always comes back to me from a, a book that I read a couple years back. Some guys have maybe picked it up. It's called The Benedict Option by Rod Dreher. Rod Dreher's kind of, kind of made a name for himself in recent years, but he made that, just one little offhand comment in that book where he said, in America, desire is self-justifying. In other words, if I say I want it, I don't need any more uh, argumentation than that. Just the fact that I desire something is in and of itself reason enough for me to have it. And so just this, this underlying assumption on the part of the Pharisees, if we tell Jesus this, he will leave, um, he will go away. And boy, that's just something that we, in our world, we, we so easily take as just, that, that's, that's gospel truth. We take that for granted. But Jesus is the one resisting against that approach. Aaron, it looks like you have something to add. Yeah, not only does Jesus resist that approach, that of course he'd want to leave, but but he kicks that up a notch at the beginning of verse 33 with plain. Uh, you you think it's a good idea for me to, to leave the region of Perea uh, to avoid Herod and, and Pharisees? How about this? I'm going all the way to Jerusalem uh, to embrace death at the hands of, of those who, who stone and, and reject the prophets of God and, and uh, fill up to the full then God's God-saving plans uh, with his, his passion and suffering and death. So um, you, you can just follow that line of, of rejection from one place uh, to the other, and, and Jesus adds rejection upon rejection. Excellent. Joel, what are your thoughts? So kind of piggybacking a little bit on, on uh, what John Bauer was saying, um, I think you quote you said was desire self-justifying. Uh, maybe to add to that a little bit more, something that, that I thought of with this text is how, how self-destructive we really are. <laughs> you know, so I think it's easy to use just in a different example. It's easy to see it in the life of an addict that you can tell they're, they're on the wrong path. You can tell they're destroying their lives, but they can't see it themselves. And so you read a text like this and you go, man, how, how are they so blind? You know, Jesus is longing to gather them as a hen gathers chicks and, and they don't see it. But of course, the point is not to say what's wrong with them. I, I think we can see the own, you know, the stubbornness in our own hearts too. Uh, that, I mean, just, <laughs> just a silly example. I have, a, I have a kid in confirmation class who recently just said to me, I don't want to be here. And and I looked at him and, and you kind of probe that a little bit. And, and I'm thinking, this is actually like the best thing that you could have for your life. I mean, but he doesn't want to be there. And, and you can think of how we look at any command of God or any promise of God. And, and somehow we want to say, well, that's not for me. I, I, I know better. And, and yet the resolute love of Jesus to still call us on those things and then to still go forth to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross for us. 
that's an interesting uh, comment, Joel. Not not to uh, <laughs> pile on the kid, but aside from aside from what he's expressing, just the idea that if I don't want to be here, I shouldn't have to be here is, is just kind of an interesting commentary on that that uh, that mindset that's so prevalent. And you know, you you think about what Paul says in uh, the the Philippians reading. A, their, their God is their stomach, and just how uh, vivid and apt a picture that is. And then, as you said, their, their destiny is destruction. Um, in pursuit of just what I want, we are the ones who often just, just heap and bring destruction on ourselves. We're digging into the, I think you guys have touched on it, the uh, uh, malady. Uh, um, how would you summarize it? What is, what, what, what's, what are we trying to get people to confront that's with, inside of them is it the notion which i think is pretty prevalent in christianity particularly modern american christianity that that, that, that christianity is something that is easy and convenient and that much of it is self you know self-chosen um that i can choose to serve in ways that are comfortable 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 to me that i don't do you have any thoughts on that to me, that thought of, of the divine necessity there that's in, in die, that, that Jesus has to do these things. Um, he's not going to Jerusalem because he was afraid of Herod's uh, political power over him. Uh, he's not going to Jerusalem because he finally um, stupidly fell for a plot of the Pharisees and, and wasn't paying close enough attention. Uh, that there is no external force or stimuli uh, that can cause God to, to act when it comes to, to his divine necessity. He, he must go to Jerusalem. Jesus is bent upon doing these things. And that's the shocker, uh, just shocking grace there. I submit that uh, the, the real gospel nugget of this text isn't that Jesus went to Jerusalem uh, to die, that, that it's he put himself under his own necessity to do these things. And then what's the response of sinful man to this? Um, you weren't willing. Uh, God is all in uh, when, it, when it comes to his grace. And in Jerusalem, uh, their reaction was hard-hearted rejection. You want to think of it this way, uh, God's signing of the prophets, that's, that's all present tense. He continued on doing that, but, but what a dreadful thought uh, that Jerusalem's unwilling rejection outlasted God's desire to, to send the, the word of salvation. Uh, so mankind just has a, an unlimited potential to make absolutely awful decisions uh, when it comes to having ears and, and actually hearing with them and believing. John Bauer. Yeah, no, we're, we're kind of getting into the, the gospel here, but I, I mean, I'm glad that both Joel and, and Professor Christie, uh, you know, rightly noted that that use of the word die and it, it's striking, I think, anytime you see it. Um, but it's also very striking when you observe, especially how, how the gospel writer Luke uses it repeatedly, um, not only as you read the gospel, but then even as we've been journeying with Luke throughout the church year. So I, I think already at this point, there's been a couple instances of it. It actually started um, all the way back right after Christmas when Jesus said to his mother, Mary, didn't you know that I, I had to die? I had to be in my father's house doing his business. Um, and then I think the second one came up in Epiphany where Jesus has healed a bunch of people in Capernaum 
and they want to hang on to him. They want to keep him there. And Jesus says, well, no, we, we have to go elsewhere because I must preach the gospel there too. So, you know, you think about that and okay, it's, it's one thing as a 12 year old boy to say, I have to do my father's work or I have to travel to a different town to, to preach and maybe be popular there too, but I have to go to Jerusalem to the cross. Um, it's, it's just interesting to trace that. And I encourage brothers, you know, if you haven't been paying attention to it up until this point, pay attention to it going forward because there's going to be three or four more before we get to the end of the church year. Um, and the one that, the one that really sticks out in my mind is when we, we kind of bring things pretty close to a conclusion toward the end of the year. Um, we get the, the wonderful story of Zacchaeus and Jesus says, I must go to your house today, which is really just a, a, a really strong exclamation point on the year. Aaron. That's uh, fine context there, John, and the context of the church here. Be looking ahead also in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Die is going to come up three times later in Luke chapter 24, uh, which even though this predates uh, Palm Sunday by six chapters here in Luke, um, you, you can think, therefore, of, of Luke 13, 31 to 35 as, is really kind of within that matrix of the, of the Passion history. Joel, so you had a thought? Yeah, I was just, just going to add to that, too, is the one I thought you were going to lead to, you went with Zacchaeus, John, but you have the die in the resurrection account, too. Um, so that comes up there. And then connecting to Palm Sunday again, uh, you have the, the, the quote from the psalm at the end of this text in particular, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, how can you not think of the Palm Sunday words that are spoken? Uh, so there are a lot of connections, and it's good to see the, the, the big picture in the book of Luke as well. Other thoughts about malady or specific gospel or ideas for themes or ideas for illustrations? I, just, just piggybacking on something that I think Joel brought up well before, um, such an interesting combination of, of characteristics in Jesus that you get the the ironclad determination and the sympathy, the compassion, the, the mother hen picture. Uh, we kind of view those as, you know, people have maybe one or the other. And I'm guessing there aren't too many people, for example, that when you take the, the strengths finders test or whatever it might be that, on you know, you have this thing on the one end of the spectrum that you're just a determined go-getter. I don't even know exactly what the, what the category would be, um, achiever. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have the utmost sympathy and compassion for people. But Jesus typifies both perfectly in, in this very short reading. I, I do think that's a striking point because, you know, we know a lot of people who are just very zealous in their work, but they lack compassion and love. And you see it with Jesus in that, that picture of the hen gathering chicks. Um, you probably... You guys might have heard the analogy. I, I think it is a true story. I think it's attributed to the author. I think it's Richard Fairchild is his name of the, there's a fire at a farm and they're going through the, you know, the, the rubbish or the debris afterwards and they come to the chicken coop and there's a, just this pile of something and he kicks it over. And what is it? It's a, you know, a mother hen that had covered up her chicks and protected her from the fire. And you, you think of how Jesus longs to gather us in because it's only beneath his wings and his love that we find that, that protection we ultimately need. Um, that's one illustration. It's maybe overused, so use it carefully. 
Aaron. I think there's some fine connections with hymnody in this Sunday also. Uh, the hymn of the day, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. I pray you ne'er from me depart with tender mercy. Cheer me. Earth has no pleasure. I would share heaven itself were void and bare if you, Lord, were not near me. Uh, the Pharisees are, are telling Jesus to leave the area. Uh, present tense, keep on going. Uh, but the child of God sings, don't go and, and be near me. And then uh, that discussion we had about uh, die and divine necessity, uh, the classic Lenten hymn, Yes, Father, yes, most willingly I'll bear uh, what you commanded me, uh, filling it up to the full. Uh, some marvelous uh, hymn connections there. Do you guys have any thoughts on, on, on uh, the first part of verse 35 when he says to Jerusalem, your house is left to you desolate? What's he driving at? That foreshadowing of the destruction of Jerusalem, you think? It's interesting that your house will be left empty to you. That's the same root of your sins will be forgiven you. Um, when you uh, when you do not cherish the forgiveness of sins, the, the loosing key which Christ is, has given to us, um, if the, the forgiveness of sins is not central in life, uh, then, then everything else uh, finally will be taken up, taken away. Um, again, kind of a, a dreadful thought. Um, every famine is, a, is an ugly picture that you see, uh, but a famine of the word is, is most dreadful of all. John. I think there's a, a natural connection there too to, to make uh, with the first reading where right before, so the, the reading itself starts at verse, verse eight, if I'm not mistaken, but right before that, the actual message that Jeremiah had preached, wrapping up in verse six, he says, this house will be like Shiloh, this city, a, a curse. Um, it's, it's going to be, uh, well, I guess it does, it occur, he repeats it in verse nine, I'm sorry. Um, so you actually do get it as part of the, the reading. This city will be desolate and deserted. So the people of Jerusalem had built all of their hopes. They had, they had built a house, so to speak, um, that was dependent on this physical earthly city, always having glory, always having peace and, and security and safety. And a house, a house like that is a house of cards, ultimately, and, and it comes crashing down. And I think Jesus is, is probably keying off of that a little bit to say to these people, you've put all your hopes in this fleshly, physical identity that you have as Jewish people with this glorious city and this glorious temple, um, but, but it's all going to be taken away from you. It kind of struck me touring in Jerusalem several years ago that the uh, the absolute epicenter of the Jewish religion uh, has been utterly, utterly excised, and all that they're left with are a few stones of, of Herod's uh, foundational platform down there at the Wailing Wall. Uh, that's, that's all they have left. It's, it's all gone. Not, not to jump uh, too far ahead of us here, but it, and it, I think it really is was sort of the, the, the little nugget at the heart of um, the whole Lenten, the Lenten series here. But the, the flip side of all of that is true too, that this, this house of physical earthly stones that they had uh, wanted to build, uh, already Jesus is saying, and, and certainly we see it in fact, as, as Aaron mentioned, 
um, has been reduced to rubble. On the flip side, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And it's just such a, such a beautiful twist that God takes the thing that nobody wanted, that everyone would have thrown in the trash heap. And he says, this, this is going to be the stone that I use uh, my son to, to build my church. You guys have any any quick thoughts on I think one of the challenges this with this is so we're talking about you know avoiding crosses taking the shortcut and 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 so yes Jesus but part of the hard part I think is just getting our people wrap wrap to wrap their brains around what a cross exactly might be for them today um because ultimately when they hear this their their new man is going to want to say okay uh I'm not going to take shortcut. What does that What does that mean for them if they're not going to take shortcuts anymore? You have any? Maybe that until you get to writing the sermon, that's hard to figure out. But any any thoughts on that? Just that Aaron. element, John. That if if you if you take the word of God seriously, the cross will will always be uh, right there for you in life. Um, you've got really three three areas of rejection or three populations of rejection in this text the the herodians rejection of of the prophetic word uh, meant political stability pharisees rejection of the of the prophetic word uh, meant uh, security for their position as as israel's religious elite ultimately the the people of jerusalem uh, rejected the word and in in rejecting their they're, they think they're opting for remaining comfortable and safe, uh, and in so doing, they, they invoke the ultimate tragedy upon themselves. But when you, you take the word of God seriously and in what Christ says seriously, then the, then the cross is never going to be very far behind. Joel? You, you could maybe mine a picture too much, but I being a just kind of a nerd type person, I was reading about hens one day and, and hens have a lot of different noises that they make. Um, and, and they're meant to warn their chicks. And one of them is a warning if there's something dangerous flying overhead. And, and you think of how our hearts are when we're warned by God's word is that we, we automatically deflect or we'd like to shift and say, no, that's not true. Um, silly example, I was driving through a neighborhood the other day and, and one of the neighbors yells, you're going too fast. And my immediate reaction was shut your mouth. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't pleasant and it was deflecting when I looked down at my speed limit. Yeah, I was going a little too fast. Uh, so it's one of those things when God's word, and I, I think, uh, Aaron made the point of that when God's, when we take God's word seriously, it's going to bring the cross there that now I have my own flesh to battle and, and to, to put myself under the word rather than above the word. got to be careful in the panhandle of florida you can get shot doing that joe <laughs> but at least at least i didn't yell what they yelled in jeremiah's text you must die <laughs> john bauer you had a thought yeah i was going to say I, I think paul's words in philippians are, are just really helpful that if you know what does it mean to be an enemy of the cross of christ um paul paul makes that synonymous with someone whose god is their stomach um, so, so Joel, Joel hit on it a little bit, um, and it's it's having a, a almost well now he is a, a teenage boy in my house. There's been a, a recurring theme in our conversations over the course of the last twelve to eighteen months, and and it's this that the ability to say no to yourself 
is one of the most difficult things, but also one of the most important things for life in general, and certainly for a child of God. And I, th I think that's ultimately at the essence of what a cross is. I, I think of Jesus' words in Mark 8, where he says, take up your cross and deny yourself as, as like synonymous parallel terms. So, you know, the idea of a shortcut, we, we want the immediate gratification. Jesus says, I've got something far better for you, but you're going to have to wait for it. And in the meantime, you got you, you're going to have to say no to yourself, to this thing that, that might seem really desirable right now. I, that's, I think that's so helpful. I've just, I've heard enough sermons where guys will talk about crosses and I've left wondering, okay, how many of the people here understand exactly what he meant by that? Um, I, I think you guys just gave some really uh, good insights in how to help our people understand um, the shape that crosses can take, whether it's taking God's word seriously or the denial of self. These are great thoughts. Any other additional ones? Cool. Maybe just an encouragement, you know, as we as we carry our cross and, and bear that cross of you having the, the epistle the, that you're a citizen of heaven. So because Christ carried out his mission perfectly, um, that we have this citizenship in heaven. And, and so we know that any any struggle we have now is only temporary and is only made light in, in view of what is to come. And so we, you know, stand firm. You have that command in the, the epistle, stand firm and, you know, remember we're where your true home is. Aaron. Just maybe a, a doctrinal hookup with the text too uh, would be the, the matter of, of stubborn and intentional sinning, uh, that it, it never ever goes well for the sinner. I mean, there, there are many times, you know, Joel's a speeding incident in the neighborhood, whoops, um, you know, we're done with it just as soon as it happened. Uh, but that, that matter of, of intentional sin, of intentionally shelving the word, of, of hardening heart and stiffening the neck, uh, that that never ever goes well for the sinner, uh, not because the sin isn't obviously forgiven, but because of the, of the spiritual uh, uh, carnage that I'm, I'm inflicting upon myself by doing that. John. Just a, a quick uh, minor pickup on that. And this is where I, I thought you were going to go here, Aaron. It's to me, it's always nice to at least notice whether it shows up in the sermon or not. Um, if there's a passage that gets used in our uh, doctrinal formulations, uh, so to speak. And I, I think this is one that's often quoted when we talk about the will and we talk about faith and the role that will, the will plays in faith that as much as we are uh, quick to say with scripture that God chooses us, that the Holy Spirit works faith in our heart, that that is not a matter of our will. On the flip side, when it comes to human rejection of God, it is never due to a lack of desire on God's part. And I, I think this Jerusalem, Jerusalem passage is one that's often quoted. So that's just maybe something minor for guys to keep in mind, not that the sermon turns into a, a doctrinal treatise, but here you've got that verse that, that shows up um, in our, our doctrinal formulations, and it's at least worth being aware of. I scratched down formula of Concord Article 2 there. It's a great thought. I just think that uh, it's just amazing how it, 
and I don't know if this is in, in every year, but it seems like this year in Lent, the, how tight things are. So the whole concept and, and John Bauer, I mean, your, your sermon series just captures this well, this whole concept of taking a shortcut. It's an, it's an effort to get quick security. And yet next week is all about false security. So it's just one week is flowing kind of seamlessly in, into another. And hopefully that's uh, our preachers can ca capture that. Any final thoughts? This is just kind of looking ahead. I, you know, I found myself looking ahead in the pericope and I think it's the um, fifth Sunday in Lent, you have the parable with the, the tenants of the vineyard. And I was starting to think a lot of those thoughts. So I, I think it's good to read ahead. So that sermon or that Sunday doesn't sound like this Sunday does, because I started to jot those notes down. I'm like, wait a second, that's coming up. So um, just be, I found myself kind of being cautious of that, that these are different topics and sermons so make sure they sound different. Yeah, that's a good point to bring up, Joel, is that I, I hope that when guys look at, use this podcast and the worship plan that comes with it, they just don't go week by week, but that at the beginning, they sit down, read through the what we're trying to nail down each Sunday, so you kind of get the arc of the season. Um, yeah, that's helpful. Anything else, brothers? Well, then I thank you very much for your time. Pray for our listeners that this is uh, been helpful. Lord's blessings to you as you bring the gospel to your people this coming week. Thanks, guys. Thank, Thank you, you, John. John.